highest compliments a rap album could be paid was five mics in the source as of late i've been intrigued by the albums that's made after the five mics you know once you have been recognized as hitting that perfect project what do you do after that for outcast their five mic album was equimini their third studio album released in 1998 two years later on october 31st andre 3000 and big boy released stangonia their long-awaited follow-up to that five mic album on this episode of Something to Say, we'll discuss that album and the anniversary that's coming up soon. This is the Some Tape Podcast. Yeah, it's your national underground thunderbounds when I stop the ground. Like a million elephants and silverback orangutans, you can't stop the train. Who wants up? Don't come unprepared. I'll leave there, but when I leave there, better be a household name. Brother man telling us it ain't gonna rain. So now we sit in a drop top soaking wet. In the silk suit, try not to sweat. Hit some assaults without the net. But this be the year that we won't forget. One nine nine nine. That's been on my mind, man. Five mics in the it? source. Yes, because it meant yeah. something. It was an yeah, iconic review. You know, there's nothing that I think mattered more when your album came out than to see how many mics you got. So just that giving that five and having that representation forever and Outcast being probably the first group from the South to get that. What do you do afterwards? How do you come back? You know what's sad about that is that there is no more, not talking about award shows, but there is no more cultural like gold star that we have that matters anymore. Like even after the five mics thing died, I get it. But like no one else really took the mantle of giving reviews that had credibility that people got excited about like all we have right now is anthony fantano and like to me that's not good enough don't say don't say that i understand he's friends of friends of ours but if you look at the gender breakdown he don't matter to me his viewership is six percent female it's it's, it's it's a it's a bunch of weirdos but i'm just saying that like when I look at the internet landscape, there's no one. People used to look forward to Big Ghost uh, limited reviews because he would do these like off the wall, like real, a lot of jokes, a lot of slander, but like funny reviews. So people would look forward to that. But outside of that, I look at the internet landscape and I don't see anybody reviewing albums with any level of credibility. And Yo's intro, but the five mics and the swords just kind of took me back to that place when it actually was important to have not a gatekeeper but just some governing body some unified thing that everyone can believe in as a consensus and say that's what they gave it if you agree or disagree that's fine we can argue about it but we all agreed that whatever it was that the source said was something that mattered and that just doesn't exist anywhere anymore and we have all the outlets in the world to be able to have that again and even with pitchfork which has a score that creates yeah. conversations. Like the points matter. If you got a 6.7 on Pitchfork, 8.8, best in music, it matters. 
but how does it matter? Does it drive? And the who does it matter to? Exactly. You know, with the source, you can say that was rap overarching. If it was hip hop, right. it mattered to the source. It mattered to the readership of the source. So now, where do you go for your rap opinion that's mattering to the entire culture? What is to the, everyone exactly? Because when I think about Pitchfork, I think about like. God bless everybody, but I'm just saying, like, when I think of Pitchfork scores, I think, like, okay, there's a bunch of kids in, like, Dirty Vans and Dirty Chuck Taylors reading this Pitchfork review, and that's it. Nobody with Air Force Ones, nobody with Jordans, nobody with, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I don't. I appreciate this breakdown, though. Ooh. I'm just saying, like, I don't. Oh, okay. I mean, that's really tricky. Um, Yes, maybe once upon a time we all agreed that the source was the standard bearer, but even the source was flawed because, you know, for that very reason, the source didn't have representation in the South, not until Charlie Braxton came to write for them and was like, you need to pay attention to fucking outcasts. Mm. Like somebody had to fucking say something in order for the source to, you know, it's like if it wasn't for the source awards, we never would have gotten that South gotten to say something to say moment. You know what I mean? And like that kind of goes to show you where the critical bias lied. So yeah, maybe once in a time we once upon a time we were all looking toward the source. But at some point, once Outcast finally conquered that hill, it was like it was like they almost came to disregard it completely and just went straight for Grammys. And I mean, if we're gonna talk about Grammys and Standard Bear, of course, Grammys are as flawed as they come. But at least per this trajectory, per where St- Stanconia landed them. That's where they set their sights. And that's why this album is so important, because where they set their sights, it was a perspective change. You know, they have already been acknowledged as the rap group. This was the album where you can come in and change things up, shake the table. How many artists get the chance to shake the table during like a great creative run? We're talking about three great albums leading up to this fourth one. A lot of pressure. Yeah, no, that's legit. That's legit. And before we actually get into the album, since we talked about the source and the five mics, I do want to shout out um, Scarface, The Fix. I think Scarface, The Fix, other than Stankonia, I mean, sorry, other than Equimini, was the only other Southern rap album to get five mics. I think it's only those two. Wow. I don't I don't think there's any. I was trying to go through my mind real quick, and I know T.I. never got one. Jeezy never got one. I think trap it was music, just, I don't think got any. I, yeah, and I think trap music was also at the point where the source was starting to be kind of irrelevant. So the mics, I don't know if people were really on the mics by the time trap music got around to with 2003, 4, 5. But um, oh yeah, other than The Fix and and uh, Scarface and Outkast, I can't think of any other Southern artists or Southern albums that got five mics. So I just wanted to make sure we gave Scarface's. And that was two. Flowers. That was two years later. So it was like that was a two years year later, gap, yeah. and then after that, since two thousand two, there's been nothing. I'm gonna I'm gonna double check that, but it sounds about right. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, double check it. I was trying to think of other artists that might have even fit the bill to be eligible, quote unquote, for the sources little five mics, and I don't. Nothing came to my mind, but check it on it. We'll see, and maybe we'll talk about it next episode or something. Right. <laughs> um, do you? But snake on the air. You guys remember when you first heard the album? Yes. I was in, this is my freshman year of college. So this is Napster time. This is Winamp time. This is, uh, I was still going to hiphopgame.com every day to like listen to new <laughs> records on real player. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm dating the shit out of myself. That took me back. Internet technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, this is my freshman year in college, and man, my roommate was so annoying with this album. I love the album to death, but he like he played it way more than anyone should play any one particular piece of music. Wow. Yeah. Why? Why was he so into it? I mean, it was just the time we were living in, right? Like, we're, you know, we're 18. This is Outkast. To Yo's point, they just came off the biggest album in the world. This is like, this is Outkast. And we're, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, enjoying this crazy time in life. And, I mean, like I said, I love the album too, but like, he really, really, really love the album shout out to uh gary cleveland he's in atlanta somewhere running around <laughs> and jaw hates you <laughs> <laughs> he played this album to death for good reason but man that's where it takes me when i think about stankonia um i don't know if stankonia is my favorite outcast album but i acknowledge that i'm a child of stankonia and what i mean by that is at the time that Outkast is putting out all these singles, I'm still stuck in suburban Maryland. I'm no longer closer to DC and closer to West Virginia over in Frederick. And having moved to Frederick, Maryland, this is where I get my first whiff of like cow manure. So my exposure to music is like slim to none until we get cable. And it's like, once we get cable, I remember how striking the images from the Miss Jackson video and the bombs over Baghdad video were. And, and so thank goodness for that, because otherwise, I don't know if I would have had any prior exposure to like Atlanta hip hop culture, let alone Southern hip hop culture. It would have been like slim to none. Cause you guys, I grew up with Goo Goo Dolls. Okay. I grew up with fucking <laughs> Savage Garden and all this shit. My mind was like completely closed off. And I mean, to be honest, like even when watching like a rap city or something like that, there weren't many images of country bumpkins. You mostly saw like the, um, like the big pimpins or like fabulous or like the chingies or the, you know, the stuff like that. Um, there was a very specific triple XL t-shirt and blinged out image. And then you had Andre 3000 tricking me into thinking that a crochet beanie and a scarf would look cool on anybody. Because when I tried to do that shit, I looked dumb as hell. But anyway, all that is to say is that like probably before I moved to Atlanta, that was probably my first image of Atlanta pop culture as I came to know it. Really? That's an interesting entry point. It is. Yeah. I think about it a lot specifically because when you think about this album, you think about how their audience is expanding it's like they're they're thinking about Atlantans and they're thinking about the South and how to speak to those people. But at the same time, Outkast is like touring worldwide and they're seeing more white kids. They're seeing white kids like rave out to jungle remixes of their songs. And I can't help but to lump myself among those who Outkast like sought their sights. You know what I mean? Like when they're thinking about like who their audience is. I can't help but think about how like I was part of this extended reach. Man, I have so many follow up questions, but I want Yo to go. I, <laughs> no, I no, want no, Yo no. to go first. No, 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 no. Let's stay right here because <laughs> this is very important. I think when you talk about expanding audience and who you can reach, 
if they don't make those choices, if they would have just doubled down on just being a hip hop act and just saying, we're going to continue to make a specific kind of Southern rap music and not think about the other side of the fence and who else they can grab. Because they had to be imagining a, a whole nother kind of person. You don't make bounds of a bad dad trying to be safe, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the... You, you, you don't make that song and think, oh, this is going to kill him on Glenwood Road. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That's not why you make that record. Absolutely. <laughs> but I guess my... I guess I'm taken aback almost because I don't think I've ever heard... Like, you, we talk a lot about artists and, like, expanding their their reach, right? And we usually talk about it from a place of... Like, not me, them. Like, I already know they're expanding their reach to other people. But I can't I can't really say that I've ever heard anyone maybe be self-aware enough or brave enough or whatever word you want to call it to say, like, no, I was the one they came and got. I wasn't really, like, all the way feet on the ground with this thing and they came and got me with this other style or with this other album, this other music that doesn't maybe immediately speak, you know, fully just to their core audience. So when you hear Stank Only for the first time, and this is kind of somewhere that's like taking you to a certain place, what do you think when you go back and listen to the other Outkast albums? It, it, I always think of them as like a past Atlanta. Like when I first stumbled across my copies of Equemini, which I found left over from a yard sale, as in nobody wanted to buy that shit. Can you Damn. fucking imagine? Can you fucking imagine? Anyway, wow. I, when, I, when I picked this shit up and I put it in my car, I'm thinking that these are artifacts. That's how I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about how this is an image of a past Atlanta that I need to acquaint myself with. I need to acquaint myself with a big A car wash, with um, images of the Georgia Dome. That's how I'm looking at it. And so like with Outkast, I can't technically say that I grew up with them, but for, for me, like they've become an important entry point to Atlanta history, like to a part of time that I wasn't previously privy to. Um, so that's my relationship with the group altogether. But it all it all began with Stanconia, honestly, because of course they had to pique my interest. That's fascinating. So Stanconia was kind of like if 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 all the other Outcast albums were like in a time capsule, Stanconia was like the code that like unlocked the time capsule, <laughs> and then you like, <laughs> like you open it up and was like, oh I, shit. I don't know. I don't know why I think of like the Indian in the cupboard for some reason, but like I guess Stanconia would be like the toy figurine popping out, and I was like, what the fuck? That's not supposed to be my <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's dope. Yeah, no. Especially since you you call them artifacts. You recognize that these albums that came before Stangonia represent a time before, which is really wild to me when I think about Stangonia as the album that comes after the bomb drops. You know, it's the album you make mm. where there's nothing before this, only what comes after. If you think about the intro, Andre tells you that Stangonia exists seven light years below the Earth's surface. So it goes down. It's still Southern, but it's not Atlanta. It tells you very specifically mm -hmm. we're not in Atlanta, but we're still in the South. We're so far Southern, we're at the bottom of the Earth where anything can happen, right? 
So that's where I mm-hmm. feel like this album kind of charts new territory because it represents a place that rap hasn't been to before, where music hasn't gone. It hasn't gone that far south. And it's very like lucid, it's very sexy, it's very raw. Even some of the opinions that they have on this album, you feel like they're twisting what the norms are. Like, uh, I love these hoes. You know, during a time where all the rappers... <laughs> <laughs> hating on hoes here comes outcast saying we love them you know we what love them. they're valuable to us <laughs> i mean before before we hit you know the iraq war they're talking about bombs over baghdad they're they're almost foreseeing so many things that hasn't happened yet so everything that comes before this is a time capsule it does represent a time that does not exist in Stangonia. They're not even the same kind of rappers who made Rosa Parks. They're not even the same kind of guys who was thinking about liberation. There's no liberation on this album. They escaped that, you know? Yeah, they're out of here now. Exactly. That's why they can do whatever well, they want to do. Well, it's crazy to me with this album, too, because in preparing for today, I listened to uh, Southern Playlistic pretty much all yesterday. And from, you know, from that point, they were still kind of on Earth. And then pretty much from AT Aliens on, they were pretty much telling you, like, you know, we're like gravity ain't really got shit on us. Like, we're out of here. Like, we're leaving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's so it's so different in rap because there's always this feeling of like, you know, go back, go back, go back, like give us how it was that first time. And it's like, these dudes put out their biggest album, their most commercially acclaimed album, and then put Stankonia out, which was even further away from everything. It wasn't a, like a, okay, we ventured out with, you know, pink wigs and fuzzy shoulder pads and boots and all this crazy shit. So we're going to give them a little bit more Southern playlistic now to try to keep the balance. Now they were like, no, 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 no. We are out of here. And <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. All I want to know is who's coming with me, man. Like that's what they were on. So it's crazy to think that they were. And I mean, and to your point, Christine, like this isn't my favorite Outcast album either. I do like, a, I mean, I love the album and I like a lot of it, but it's not my favorite Outcast album by far. But it, um, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty ballsy to to take that approach to the album following up your biggest album. Mm-hmm. For sure, I think. It's interesting, you know, when you say that this album is very future minded, because what I start to see is that um, the dynamic qualities that made Outkast so compelling is starting to almost fissure a little bit like you have like I'm starting to kind of see where Andre 3000's creative um, visions are versus like big boys. Like I, I kind of feel like they're towing like this line that, that's like so fine. That's like so fine. But what's interesting about Sanconi is that you can go from one song where they're apologizing to baby mamas and then the next moment like you get something super petty and then it's like <laughs> they can't creatively make up their mind. And part of me is wondering is like, is it because there's a divide that's happening or is it because they're trying to encapsulate 
every possible worldview that there even is as they travel, what, seven light years or something. Mm. That's what I hear mostly. I hear like a killer Mike and a big boy, you know, talking about how like, you know, referencing like love in your mouth, the Kilo Ali or whatever. And then you have Andre 3000 go all the way over here. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily future minded so much as they're like spreading themselves out if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, you know, they say that uh, I'll take the, I'll take the metaphor to a, to another level. So, you know, they, they, you see uh, time travel movies, a lot of what happens in some time travel movies is that you are, your molecular structure changes, right? If you leave your dimension and go to another dimension, you can be there, but you might have glitches. Like they do this a lot in a, uh, spider-verse where okay, you know yeah. the, the other spideys come into the world and they have these like glitches and ticks because their atoms aren't the same so i mean to some extent maybe you know this album is kind of like splitting the atom to where like mm. you know big boy and andre are like ripping themselves apart at the seams and then the very next album what do you get a double album where everyone has their own side Oh shit! Boom, boom. You see how that works? That was yes. See? And I was about to say the piggyback off that uh, the DF interlude where you have them rambling off all the different nicknames and they're saying yeah. these names not as if like oh they also called me but almost as if these people represent their own perspectives. Mm-hmm. You know, like when Big Boy calls himself Billy Ocean, like there's an actual Billy Ocean. But oh yeah, Mike loves him some Billy Ocean. He loves him some Billy Ocean. You want to put him in a good mood? Play some Billy Ocean. Play some Billy Big Boy, he found out that Billy Ocean didn't own the copyright to that name. And I guess to feel embodying that persona, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that name too. So it's almost like taking the name of an actual person, you know, like that has to have a perspective. It's not just everything's coming through the Big Boy voice. Like, no, I, I have so many different minds. So it is a, a great split of the atom in that regard. And you can find in, um, I want to say... The Spin Magazine profile that they did in 2000, where they talk about Big Boy's already saying, uh, I think the next album we're going to do five tracks for me, five tracks for Andre, and five tracks for Outkast. Like they were already considering Speaker Box Love Below even before it came into complete fruition. Like obviously there's a, there's a split going on, but uh, to kind of combat what Christina was saying, what I actually really like about Stangonia is that you can see that they're going in two different directions, but they don't feel like they're not on the same page. It's like we're still reading from the same book here. It's just I have my way of writing these pages and you have your way of writing these pages. But they, to me, don't seem completely split, but they're having a conversation from two completely different people. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, I think what I also meant by the, the spreading out thing is that, um, I think what I was really struck by here was that, you know, just as before, I think they have, um, on one hand, their head is sort of like in the clouds, but on the other hand, particularly with Andre 3000, his mind always seems to be in the ghetto or it always seems to be somewhere in Southwest Atlanta too strong because I feel like even with like a bombs over Baghdad, for example, the perspective, I mean, it goes toward like images of U.S. imperialism and all that. But the main concern always seems to be toward like how do other Atlantans see more for themselves and expand their worldview as we are seeing. It's like, I don't know if that makes any sense, um, but that seems to be like a chief concern going into Sanconia as well. It's like, even if we're going to talk about loving these hoes and like all this stuff, I think, I guess like the musical composition seems perfectly geared toward getting their minds to expand. If I don't know. When I was doing the research on Stangonia, I got to see if I can find these notes. But there is a very particular perspective about how a lot of the sonics for Bombs Over Baghdad or some of the more ambitious songs were determined when they started to go to raves. Like Andre and I think Mr. DJ would go to different raves and, and see how people were reacting to music of a different speed. And I think that Andre felt like he wasn't exposed to this if you're just around Atlanta hanging out with your boys in Atlanta. Like, without breaking away from the norm, you don't get a chance to encounter these things. And I think trying to get people to encounter what else is out there is a big part of Stangonia to expand your mind in that sense. So I agree with you completely. Let me see if I can find the and quote, then, though. And then this is the, the first album that they pretty much produced themselves, right? Like, mm-hmm, completely. Think, with organ- Mr. DJ, yeah. Yeah, with Mr. Yeah. DJ, because, I mean, organized noise as a as an institution only produce what like three forties records mm-hmm. and yeah. there's like 20 what 23 24 tracks on here 25 tracks something like that so like they clearly had in their own mind even if there was this you know atom splitting that we're talking about i think they clearly had in their own mind okay this is how this needs to sound because maybe where we're going we can't even fully convey you know another entity (laughs) might not even can be able to convey where our minds are at as you know creative individuals so let us just go in and do this did camera phones exist back then um let me think did i have a camera phone and no no because yeah it was probably maybe i mean there were probably some that were like super expensive but it definitely wasn't worth i just learned text messaging when this album had came out <laughs> oh like i okay, had my nokia yeah. phone and i was when i i didn't even know that there was a thing called text messaging i just saw one of my friends doing it one day he's like you know you can send a message with the phone i was like what do you mean you can send a message with the phone <laughs> and then he tapped out this message and sent it to somebody he sent it to me i'm looking at this little i'm like oh this is a thing you can do and it was Kelly Rowland texting on the Excel spreadsheet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That type, right. It's that type of, like, that's where we're at at time. So, yeah, I don't think that there was real camera phones that were, like, proliferated at this point. No, so that I think that goes to your point. Like, if, you know, imagine being able to capture that ray footage 
and just posting it to Twitter. Like we're clearly mm-hmm. in a different age right. or seeing um, bad and bougie go off like as they're as Migos are traveling like overseas or whatever. But at this particular time, no, I can definitely see how like they're talking about raves and organized noise being like, Raves. What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, bro, like, I got this guitar and these and these and these drums and this like oboe and these, and these brass horns. And you talking to me about? <laughs> but also glow sticks. So many yeah, glow sticks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I can understand. And it's not saying that they're not. I mean, clearly the records that they produce on here are amazing songs. So I mean, it's not right. that organized noise isn't like qualified to do other types of music, but. I could definitely maybe see them being a little like, so we're doing what now? <laughs> I want to, <laughs> what was the label's reaction? Imagine bringing this album That's to the love face. Like, this is what we're putting out next. What? And Well, you know what? For some reason, I can see I can see L.A. Reid being behind Bombs Over Baghdad real, real heavy. Just because of the I energy. Think- I think that was the story. It was like um, they wanted to go with, I think, So Fresh, So Clean first. Mm-hmm. But they were really, but like the this trinity being L.A. Reid, Big Boy, and Andre wanted Bombs Over Baghdad. They were pushing that mm. real hard that's first. A, that's a while for a single, by the way. To lead with that. Crazy oh my first God. Single. That's a crazy first single. I don't know if we've had another single so off the cuff like that from an act as established as Outkast. Yeah, they really went for it. Like it a big, pride. big swing for the fences, but a big hit, huge hit, big, big huge hit. hit. And to to your point, Ja, when this album was made, this is the first album made at Stangonia the studio. So Correct. they bought Boss Town Records from Bobby Brown, which I think is wild because when Bobby moved to Atlanta. There's an article written about how R&B was coming to Atlanta. Atlanta was not a city known for music at the time. So you got L.A. Reid, you got Babyface, you got Bobby Brown all moving down here in the 90s. So it feels like there's going to be an R&B resurgence coming straight out of Atlanta. And Boston Records seemed to be the place where all the R&B could be made. So you take Bobby Brown, I think he does his self-titled album, Bobby, in that studio with a single like Humping Around. You're coming into that space where hits have been made. You're coming into a place where Bobby Brown was creating and now it's yours because I think it went into foreclosure in 1997. So you see both ends of it. You see the height of someone of Bobby's stature and then you see the fall at the same time. So it's like, what do you do in that space? And their outcast is like what? In their mid-20s? 25. I can't be trusted with anything at 25. I'm sorry. Like... (laughs) I could barely keep a clean house at 25. Um, yeah, I think that part. It's like, it's crazy how, just how ambitious they went with this one, I think, to where, like, the rhythms are just, like, completely different. And even when revisiting it, I kept thinking, like, what drugs do I need to be on for this to make sense? <laughs> that was my central question. But yeah, my first that was, I think that was part of my first like reaction to the album hearing it too was like not just what drugs do I have to be on, but it was a weird thing. I think this was one of the first I think this might have been one of the first albums, period, but definitely one of the first rap albums where I wasn't 
I wasn't confused about whether I liked it because I did like how it sounded to my ear just without trying. But it was also, I remember thinking, this is very messy. Like mm. all the production mm-hmm. is messy. It just sounded like knots, electric knots, just like <laughs> <laughs> tied up and tied up and tied up into this big ball of like yarn that was like glowing and radioactive. And it's kind of like, okay, this isn't, this isn't organized noise. This is like chaos and confusion. Uh, and, yes! <laughs> and, and yes! Like, I'm used to like, you know, funky melodies and funky grooves and bass lines that just go and go and go. And like there was there was a, a little bit of that on this album. But for the most part, I just remember thinking this sounds so messy. This sounds so chaotic that. I almost don't know why I like it, but it sounds good. It feels good. So I'm not going to question it. I'm going to roll with it. But like, this is not what I thought I was getting ready to get. (laughs) That was a bar about it not being an organized noise. Oh, man. It's it's not. It's absolutely just a bunch of different ideas. Running rapid. The production moves. It does not sit still. It's ever-shifting. And with them being the ones to produce a majority of the album, you can tell it leaps from their mind to the boards. And they do not care what no one else thought. That's what this album feels like. It doesn't care about any other opinions. It doesn't care about what's going on in rap right now. It's just, this is what we were thinking about in the studio that day. And yet, and yet, and this is the crazy part, because Sanconia could have easily bombed. It could have tanked, because people would have been like, I don't know how to make sense of this. This is disorganized noise, blah, blah, blah. Yet Outkast always knows how to deploy a hook. And I think that's probably their greatest strength because you can throw all these ideas out into the world, but you're getting, I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson stuck in people's heads. You're getting so fresh and so clean stuck in your heads. You're getting bombs over Baghdad stuck in people's heads. And so when you win them over, just through that, those refrains alone, it's like you can take on the world from there on out. And that's the other thing about Outkast. It's like, no matter how ambitious they get, they always have to remember that there's some point where everybody gets to sing along. I'll call before I come. I won't just pop over out the blue. I hope that you do too. I'll call before I come. I won't just pop over yeah and and like i think that's important not just in because what you said about the hooks i a thousand percent agree with and then even when you look at the, the concepts of the songs like it was abstract but a lot of this stuff like yo was talking about with you know bombs over baghdad and the iraq war and like even other stuff like i mean obviously you know miss jackson is you know you're talking about relationships and single families and single mothers and you know all that kind of thing but you get in the middle of all that you get uh toilet tissue yeah like we're talking about like abortion and abortion rights and and you know women being in these positions that are difficult to navigate and what do you do when you you know live in the south where you know some place i mean atlanta i don't think was i think atlanta everything was still legal at this time but i mean there's places in the south where you know abortion is 
a, a non-starter. Like it's not happening. It's not going down. So, you know, they're still tackling a lot of on earth issues, but they're clearly like the presentation of it is so far out in the space that it's like to be able to have hooks and to be able to have like really grounded subject matter that still people can bite their teeth into is definitely a, a a super kudos to them for being able to maintain that in the midst of what is going on and still have an effective message to be able to actually communicate it in a way that's beyond surface. It's a perfect storm of chaos, but it's grounded in something real. And that's what I think makes the album special is all this is happening and yet they don't lose themselves in it. They're very defined. Outkast has 100% control over the idea from start to finish. Like Christina said, they're great at calling hooks. Like they're, they're at the point where you can kind of consider them almost veterans, very seasoned in creating music and creating art. And like I said, four albums in, you really get control over your identity, your artistic identity. And that's what I want to see more artists have the opportunity to do. You know, I think Kendrick's on album four right now completely the same place as Outkast. Um, very seasoned, understands his identity, but how does he express himself now after four albums? I think Stangonia might be one of the blueprints. Hmm. Interesting. You know what I just thought about too, in the midst of we're talking about the hooks? Most of the hooks on this album are Andre. Mm. A great many of them are Andre's lead vocals, like uh, Gasoline Dream, So Fresh, So Clean, Miss Jackson, uh, I'll Call Before I Come, uh, Bombs Over Bad Dad, uh, 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 Red Velvet, uh, Gangsta Shit, Toilet Tissue, Slum Beautiful. Like, not saying that Big Boy's vocals aren't probably in there somewhere, but I feel like Andre's voice, specifically on the hooks, is a, is like a lead almost every single time. Yeah, I think if it wasn't Sleepy Brown, because I think that's him yeah. on So Fresh, then um. Oh, you're right. Sleepy Brown's on here twice, but most of them are Andre, and that's a good point. Um, because I think prior to that, the lines were a little bit more blurred. Um, I think it's kind of kind of like in older Migo songs where you couldn't really tell like who was going to enter the song first and how long they were going to take it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it could have been take off for the first two minutes. So it's like, yes. But then the <laughs> next song would be like Quavo or whatever. Like um, because Big Boy has hooks to him, too. Like me, you, your mama, your cousin, too. That is Big mm-hmm. Boy. Big Boy. For sure. Yeah. A thousand percent. But yeah, maybe to some extent, that's a good point. Like they're sort of like also kind of falling into these roles a little bit more um or at mm. least that that's interesting i hadn't really thought about that i mean either but it's a great point especially just with andre as a writer at the time he seemed to have like a lot of ideas so maybe that's just what happened he just felt like he wanted to take the lead more uh i remember reading how big boy came to the studio one stormy night and andre was working on bombs so he comes in and he's hearing the song for the first time and Andre already has his stuff laid. He has the beat pretty much made out and he said the room starts glowing. He was like, <laughs> he felt the room. Was like, That's why when Josh said radioactive earlier, I was like, well, yeah, 
because it feels like they were in like a radioactive space. And, you know, per what Big Boy says, he goes into the studio and freestyles his verse for bombs. And it doesn't feel freestyled. It's just like they were just piped up. And, you know, just imagine being able to come into the studio and you have a architect like Andre building out these ideas for you to just walk in and lay your perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, for Andre sure. talks about that a lot too, right? About as far as not even not putting out a solo album or not having a solo album because he talked about like, you know, it was it used to be me and Big. So it was like, you just write your verse. He, he just writes his verse and then we go about our business. Maybe someone does a hook or someone does a, a bridge or something, but I only have to rap really one time and trying to write three verses for a song is three great verses for a great song is a lot harder than just doing an amazing 16, 24, 32 and going about <laughs> our business. You're like, all right, I could clock out now. I can all clock right, out cool. now. I did my 32. Now everything else, I let Rico and them figure out, let Sleepy and them Ray <laughs> figure out how it's going, whatever, whatever. But like, all I need to do is come in here and rap one time and then I can be free. Yeah. But you yeah, have to yeah. see this thing out from top to bottom and not for nothing. If that is, I don't know if he felt that way during the process of this album or if that's something that he kind of came to the realization of later. Mm-hmm. But if he did, feel like you know it's tough to see a concept through top to bottom when it's kind of just you not that this album was just him or just them but for them taking control of it and earth tone three being the driving force behind it they pulled it off pretty damn well if you ask me yeah i I think they sound inspired on this album for sure the andre's rapping on this is so sharp like his gangster shit verse is wild like he closes the show Bro, oh can, my I, you know. can I tell you talked about how the room glow? Can I tell you how my soul glowed <laughs> at Outcast at last when they <gasps> did gangster shit? Oh, that was wow, a song yeah. that I never ever thought I would see live. Never in a million years that I ever. It's one of my favorite Outcast songs ever. It's definitely in my top ten of just personal favorites. Best or not best, I don't care about that. My own personal favorites. I need that song in my life. And never did I think I would see that verse live. And I saw it twice. My Man. God. Oh my God. There were and there were the crowd, I don't know what days you went, job, but there were people all dispersed in Centennial who had the same reaction. I think yeah. I was sending by um Remember Brown and Dustin Chambers when that song came on? And they fucking <laughs> lost their collective <laughs> shit. Yeah. I just remember that so clearly. Yeah. Like, because they would not have anticipated that at all. I didn't, even going there, I didn't expect to. I, in my mind, I'm like, they're going to play the hits. Because I had seen them at Counterpoint. So I'm like, okay, you're going to play the hits. You know, maybe there's a little deviation. Maybe you bring in a posse cut. You bring out Erica or somebody because you're now in Atlanta. But in no way, shape, or form did I think that we were going to get gangster shit live. And I went on, I went Friday and Sunday. And I think if I'm, I could be mistaken, I think Friday they did the record, but they didn't have everybody there. Okay. And on the final show on Sunday, I think they had everybody. And oh, it was just shit. a thing. Like, oh, man. Whew. <laughs> 
That's a lovely question to ask people. Like, what days during Outlast what did you actually go? <laughs> that's a, and that's a super like that's a real fan question because it like is. it's not just like did you go? It's like what days did you go? Yes, yes. Because they were I all w- different experiences. Friday was nothing like Sunday. Mm 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 mm. I didn't get to go Sunday is my thing. Oh, but man. I knew that that was the day that I was like shit. Yeah. You know, you would have seen a thousand of old Atlanta folks out there. <laughs> Just out there. You know there. what I mean? Right. Yes. Let me ask, yes. Let me ask this yes. question. Who out of Atlanta can give us that Atlas experience? Like, what's a group or, or, or artist Af- that, that's coming up right now that we'll be able to look forward and say, when they have a festival, we have to be there. We have to. For, it's a cultural moment for fans. For three days. So yeah. are the parameters the exact same? They yes. perform for three days and they manage to get three lineups worth of people to open up for them. Yes. I don't fucking know. Um, I, I think it can only be. I think it can only really be a thing that. T.I. 2 chains, and Jeezy do. Kind of. So they have to form like a fake group. Yeah, it has to be a fake group. Yeah, it's not. I don't think there'll be like an actual real group or real collective, but of a certain of a certain more modern era, I think like a TZ, a, a Jeezy Ti, two chains. <laughs> you would, you would have to have Gucci, man. It would have to be a Ti. Oh, Where's Gucci, yeah, Gucci, 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 Gucci. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, I think you you might have to have Jeezy and Gucci on different days. Yeah, but, I don't know if they'll <laughs> iron out their problems enough for it to be like. That I think they're grown about it, but I don't think they like each other. Yeah, uh, no. Jeezy, when Jeezy did Ti's podcast, he didn't sound like he was grown. Very, yeah, he sounded like. But uh, mm. would they pit their names on the flyer together for business? Yeah, for business, especially in 2022 when like real concerts come yeah. back. <laughs> if you if you did this thing type of thing in 2022 when you can actually put. 25, 30, 40,000 people together and they feel comfortable being in that same space? Maybe. Both Gucci and Jeezy understand the power of nostalgia. They've all they've all had anniversary shows, yep. mm-hmm. comeback shows. Yep. You know this, yo. Like, they see how powerful that draw is. So maybe for the sake of nostalgia, they'll put their differences aside in the garage for the weekend and then just do their thing. Yeah. And then like once Monday comes, they're like, okay, fuck you again. And then <laughs> right, just like, right, right. I mean, shit, Gucci just let Mulatto make his whole record over again. So like, right. true. clearly he understands like what it means to like bring something, you know, dock the dust off of it and bring it back to people. So yeah, maybe, I hope so. That would be the something. Concert, the, the city would go crazy if to see, if they and if they somehow able to squash it, before that time and then you have like a Jay-Z Nas thing on stage with Gucci and Jeezy at a three-day festival in Atlanta and, the and they don't th- spit in their hands before they shake yeah before they shake yeah, yeah, they, they did so they. icy together so icy on a, oh! on, a, on, a, on a last day of a three-day festival in Centennial Park in Atlanta <laughs> the whole city would catch on fire <laughs> Bose, Tobin, and Lil Will come out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it's in front of a Walter sign. Like, they re-erect yes. the Walter the sign. Like the- yes, you do the whole thing. You do so icy together. Tears. Oh, man. Tears would fall. No, yeah, no, I, I'm not, I might cry. <laughs> it, would be, it would be winning the Super Bowl. 
I, I, for sure. That's that's the only for way. For sure. Did we win today? How we looking? It is. Uh, when I last <laughs> looked, it was twenty to seven. Them. Uh, them. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think we're gonna win. I think we're actually gonna lose every game this season, and we deserve it. That's another well, conversation for them. <laughs> well, speaking of nostalgia, yo, there is a particular reason why you have done all this research. I feel like you should give a plug, a very, you know very shameless plug. You know what? Thank you, Christina, because I did need to give a plug. I did all this research. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last month, the website bottom me please reached out and asked me to do a retrospective for Outcast Angonia because they will be doing a re-release of the vinyl coming up. Is it going to drop on the anniversary of the album? Mm-hmm. So that's coming out this month and they reached out and wanted me to just pin something about Sangonia and I end up doing this super big deep dive wanted to learn everything about the album I definitely played it for like two weeks straight I had Andre 3000 just like tattooed on my brain but <laughs> and what I really learned from this album as I was replaying it over and over and over again is just how there is no box you can pit creative rappers in like once you hit that creative stride where you understand that you can express any idea, then you can tap into something that no one else is doing. And they really tapped into that. They just felt like two guys who had overcame so much, you know, from coming out of high school to signing to this label, to being booed in New York, to being revered in the source. Like they, they baby mamas, uh, losing relatives, everything leading up to being 25 and trying to give the world something that they've never heard of before. And this is what that album is, something that the world never heard. And, you know, all these years later, we still haven't heard another one. Fuck. Did your... So let me get something straight here. The words that you penned, um, are they the official liner notes for this re-release? Or what? where do, where do these words live? They live on the bottom, you please, but it's for the liner note, I guess, retrospective. I don't know if it is the liner notes for this, for this thing. I think it might be. I'm waiting for my care package to come in to check. They never. Oh my God! You don't know <laughs> yet. No oh my God! I honestly, oh my God! I honestly wanted to be surprised. Like I didn't want to ask and be disappointed. <laughs> it's like, is, is this coming with the vinyl? And they tell me no, and I'm like, oh my God! I'd rather get it and see if I'm in there. Otherwise, you know, vinyl me please is gonna have to get a fight in the office. Like I'm just gonna storm in. <laughs> yeah. I don't the know. The fuck are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I need to ask my man, Michael, because he pinned the retrospective for Rick Ross uh, that they put out Teflon Dawn, I think a couple of months ago. So I, I was, There was a retrospective on Teflon Dawn? Yes, it is great. I'm going to send it to you. He talks about how Rick Ross had really tapped into premium trauma, how premium trauma is a, a very real aspect to rap music. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When he When he told me that, I was just like mind blown. Because it is true. It's like with Rick Ross, you can pinpoint that moment in time where everything was culminating. His beef with 50 Cent. Uh, he had gangs shooting at his car. He had so much going on. And what does he do? He puts out an amazing album. You know, and, and that's the thing, man. I feel like with rap, you can take everything that's going on with you, 
all your thoughts, all your feelings, all your woes, and you can just express that thing into a body of work. You know, very, very few art forms allows you to culminate your life the way rap does. You know what I thought about, too, going something you said about them um, not being able to be boxed in and like convey whatever message they want to. And, you know, Christina's question about will there be that group that we can look back for and at last? And a lot of times they this comparison is probably made more often than not as a pejorative. I don't think it should be a pejorative, but to that, to that point, I feel like spillage village carries on that tradition real well. of mm. Uncompromised, not boxed in. We're going to talk about whatever we want to talk about in whatever creative ways we come up with and there's a lot of us and we can all do this (laughs) like i was listening to their album this morning uh on my oh the new one yeah the new one fire i hadn't pressed play on it yet because i don't know i just haven't i have been in certain moods and i just kind of stay you know you know i've been on my grayscale so like i just been kind of moving in one lane, adding stuff, you know, taking note of things, but having pressed play on everything. But I think uh but I think Spillville does a real good job of that carrying on that tradition of the Dungeon family organized noise in a in a legit way though, not in a like not in a contrived way, but in a super authentic this is how we express ourselves and we have a the greatest blueprint in the world to see it through. Oh man, that's a good point. That's a good point. Cause it's like when I saw Earth Gang live and they're having um, the mosh pits go off in particular, that image of itself, I feel like is more indebted to Stanconia Outcast than maybe any of the outcasts before. Cause it's like now, somebody like an earth gang or some or a collective like a spillage village they can set their sights out as far as the eye can see or even like beyond that it's like the question of reach isn't even a question anymore because specifically of how outcasts decided to make it null and void they're like you don't have to worry about whether reaching the world or like taking over the world is possible we're here to show you that it actually is so i love that i love that comparison it is actually a really great comparison um, when the album dropped, I was with Earth Gang leading up to the album release. And I remember talking to them and asking them about being global acts. And they made a point to say, we'll always be of the city, that we are the city, that the city is always going to be on who we are. But once you go global and once you can reach beyond just your space, then you're out of here. And, you know, we're hanging out at like maybe 4 p.m., 5 p.m. The album's already out in like Australia. So they're telling us how people are hitting them up, reciting lyrics and stuff from, you know, out the country. And they didn't have billboards in Atlanta. They had billboards in London. You know, they were already thinking about how we can expand. And the album sounded like really expansive. Collision sounds completely outside of just, you know, I-75. 
We're going uh, yeah. far further than, you know, the ecosystem of Atlanta. And I think that that does something to the ear when you start to hear a group expanding. You start to see them outside of just being from a certain place. They become far reaching. Outcasts became far reaching. I think before Stangonia, but by Stangonia, you couldn't box them. And I, and I see the same thing with Earth Gang and, and JID and all the Spillage Villagers. So that would be great if we can get like a Black, Jid, Earth Gang, Benji, have all of those Mariba, yeah. all these pieces in like five or six years. See where they are, see what they've done. And uh, if they bring it back to Atlanta, I think it could be something special. For sure. Well, you have been listening to the Something to Say podcast produced in Southwest Atlanta Too Strong by Michael Saba. Uh, this podcast is funded um, with by folks just like you guys, and we appreciate all that support. If you're interested in helping support us, head over to patreon.com slash something to say. Come on, come on.